presence of Jesus. He promised where two or more are gathered in his name, he's there in the midst of them, didn't he? That's right. So we're gathered in his name, and that means he's here. Now, whether or not you sense that is on you, not him. It's always on us, not him. He's always true to his promises. God will never break his promise. If he's promised it in Christ, it's yes and amen. And so if we're not experiencing the fruitfulness of that promise in our lives, it's not God's reluctance that's the problem. It's, it's our faith. It's our belief. And so sometimes we don't need to let the circumstance tell us what the promise says. We say what the promise says. And so I want to begin this morning just with some scripture. If you'd open your Bibles to John 17. We're going to begin there, and we're going to read this in John 17, all of it really, uh, so that we can get it down into our spirit before I say anything at all. It's a very important part of Scripture because it's one of the final prayers of Jesus. Um, He's about to be taken uh, captive by the the, uh, temple guard and uh, put on trial and go through all the things that he's going to have to go through to pay for our sin. And uh, this is something he prays just prior uh, to the Gethsemane moment. So his very last uh, couple of prayers is the one in Gethsemane where he asked the Father if the cup could pass, let it pass, but if not, let his will be done. And then his final cry from the cross, you know, Father, why have you forsaken me? So... This is, of the three final prayers of Jesus, this prayer right here is one of the most important for us. Um, And so I want us to read it this morning, then we're going to break it down. Beginning in chapter 17, verse 1 of John, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now O father. Glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known all the things that you have given me are from you. For I've given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you have sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours and all mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, 
And these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy, my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they all so may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that you also, that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. In this prayer of Jesus, we witness what is believed to be the most important prayer of his life here on earth. This is a legacy prayer. It's not an ordinary prayer. It's a legacy prayer. He's praying for all the generations that are to come. Leading up to this moment in Jesus' life, he knows he has a short time before he's going to be hung on the cross for the sin of the world. So the things he's going to pray and speak at this point are of greatest importance. They're legacy. Legacy statements, legacy prayer. Jesus also knows his disciples are about to go through a huge challenge. And dare I call it transition. They are about to experience hardship unlike anything they have ever had to deal with to date. And in chapter 16 of John, Jesus had been revealing things to them much more plainly. And as a result, they made the declaration that by his plain speaking, they know he is from God. And then Jesus asked them, do you now believe? The point being is not because you can understand a few words makes you a believer but that you receive those words, okay? Then Jesus warns them that they will be scattered soon. Think about that. Do you believe? They're going to be scattered. Each to his own, and they're going to leave him alone. He tells them he's letting them know. Now get this. He tells them he's letting them know these things so they might have peace. You're going to abandon me, but I want you to have peace. They're going to abandon him in the worst moment of his life, and he's telling them these things so they'll have peace despite what they're going to do. 
And Jesus warns them that in the world they're going to have tribulation and then encourages them to be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. Now, it was after Jesus speaks these things to them that he lifts his eyes to heaven and begins to speak with his father. He just spoke with them, and now he's going to speak with his father about them and about us. John 17 is an amazing time of prayer Jesus has with the father. But I want to especially draw our attention to the point uh, where verse 20 and, and Jesus actually makes the prayer about us. You see, in verses 1 through 20 of that prayer, it appears Jesus is focused on what he and the Father have, what he and his immediate disciples, meaning the 11, have. And he points out that Judas is a son of perdition, knowing that he's not going to be numbered, right? But at verse 20, he shifts his focus, and that's where we become a part of this legacy prayer. Now, when Jesus declares, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, he is praying for us. And therefore, it's important to note what it was that Jesus prayed for us. We need to be reminded of this often. What was his goal in asking the things that he did? Well, the goal is that we might be one with the Father and Jesus. Just as Jesus is one with the Father. Now, some preachers, when they preach from John 17, they make this about our unity. But it is not about our unity. It is about unity with God. The push for unity in the prayer of Jesus is to come into fellowship in the unity of the Trinity. That's the prayer. The prayer is that you will be drawn ever more in depth in your relationship to the Father. That you'll be so drawn in that it's starting to get harder and harder to tell the difference between you and the Lord. That's the whole idea. Is that when people see you, they're going to see some Jesus. They're going to see some of the Father. They're going to see the work of the Holy Spirit. They're going to see the Trinity operating in your life. That is the goal. Jesus is expressing his desire that we experience with the Godhead the unity of fellowship that the Trinity itself has always known. Always known. The reason being is that Jesus says, that is what will convince the world the Father sent Jesus. We don't convince the world because we all agree on something. We convince the world when the fragrance and presence of God is so present upon us because we're in unity with him that there's no way to mistake the supernatural nature of who he is in our lives. And that's what Jesus is getting at. How would they know that the Father sent Jesus? They knew by the power of the Holy Spirit operating through Jesus. We know no man could do these things lest he were sent sent from God. Only someone sent from God can raise the dead, heal the lepers, 
Open deaf ears, blind eyes. Cause the dumb to speak, the lame to walk. Come on. Only someone sent from God can do that. Someone not sent from God can talk about Scripture all day long and bore you to tears with it. Speak about it as it, so dryly, so monotone that you wonder if they believe anything they're reading. It reminds me of a story Leonard Ravenhill, a famous evangelist, that once told of a prisoner in England. He was on his way to the gallows. They commissioned a, 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 a minister to come and speak to him on the, on the journey to the gallows. That was their custom. The minister's reading from the Bible about hell. Like he's reading any ordinary book. And the prisoner stops him. Just stops him. He said, preacher, if I believed what that is saying about hell, I would crawl on my hands and knees across miles of broken glass to save one human being from a place like that. It was an indictment that this man could read this so nonchalantly as though it wasn't even real. That he could speak of people perishing in hell and did not impact his heart. Even as he's walking with a condemned man who is facing hell. And there's no compassion in his tone. There's no urgency in his tone. People have a problem with pe- preachers who are passionate sometimes. I'd rather hear a passionate preacher as to hear a monotone. I don't care if, if he messes some things up. At least he's on fire for God, for heaven's sake, right? If you believe something, you're passionate about it. You're passionate about it. I see people who are passionate about all kinds of things. You know, they're passionate about their sports. They're passionate about their homes. They're passionate about their entertainment. They're passionate about their clothes. They're passionate about their kids. They're passionate, you know, come on. And when they're passionate about it, they don't just say, I love my kids. I think my wife would deal with some tremendous insecurity if, if every time she was standing there, I was telling somebody, you know, I love my wife. I really love my wife. If I were to say, well, I, I love my wife. <laughs> I got back from Guatemala battling parasites that I picked up while I was down there. And, and, <laughs> and so, so... I had no strength. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, man. I just I lost 13 pounds. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a great weight loss thing, but I don't recommend it. But um, but the thing is, is that my wife would say, "How are you feeling today?" And I'd say, "I'm fine." 
Except I'd say, I, I was real tired. I'd say, well, I'm fine. You haven't convinced me with that tone. You know, there was no energy in it. There was no vitality in it. Jesus said, I came to sp- and I spoke to you the words of life. Not just truth, but words of life. Spirit and life. Spirit and life. The world, God spoke, created the heavens and the earth, and the wor- here was the earth, and it was without form, and it void, and darkness covered the waters of the deep, you know, the waters of the deep were there, and nothing was formed. And what is, when the Spirit gets involved, what happens? He hovers over the waters, and all of a sudden, stuff starts to come forth. There's this creative nature to the Holy Spirit, this energetic vitality, yes. passionate, okay? Do you, think, do you think the mountains sprang forth and the grass sprang forth and the trees sprang forth and the animals came forth and stuff and it was not dramatic? Yeah, whatever. Oh, well. Yeah, look at that. There's another one. After everything that was created, God said, it is good. It is good. I'm telling you, there's an energy, there's a vitality, there's a life in the spirit that that religious people don't walk in. They walk in knowledge, but they don't walk in the vitality of the spirit. The life of Christ. Look, life is something energetic. Ask the weeds in my yard. I will pull them. I will cut them. And man, they have some life, I'm telling you. They come back again and again and again. You can see them. You can pour concrete. Give it a few years. They'll find a way to get through a crack in the concrete. It'll spring up. Look at the streets of the city. It springs up. Life is energetic. Life is passionate. The presence of God is mobile. It is not static. You can't be in the presence of God and be humdrum. It doesn't exist. Well, that's just my personality. Well, we need to rebuke Eeyore right out of you. You're walking around with a pinned-on tail that doesn't look like the right color or anything. It doesn't suit you. You need to come out of Eeyore and come into the rejoicing of hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit, what? What is it? What is it? Joy unspeakable and full of glory in the Holy Spirit. When it says unspeakable, it doesn't say God makes you a mute. It means that you're so overwhelmed by the goodness of God, you can't find the words. You can't find the words. That's when I break into the spirit. I spend quite a bit of time there. 
I was wanting to do it this morning, but I know if I go there, you can't come with me necessarily. Because you won't understand anything I'm doing. I was having to get back on track. I felt like I was going to get raptured. It's, it's, how, does, how are people going to believe if a, a believer says, well, God is good all, God is good all the time. It's good all the time. So what's happening in your life? Well, if you, you know, with everything going the way it is right now in the nation, why do you ask me a stupid question like that? I'm wondering if I'm going to be able to pay the bills next month. I'm wondering, but God is good all the time. They're passionate when they talk about the problem. Monotone when they talk about the goodness of God. That's backwards, saints. That's backwards. Well, if you ain't enjoying it, I am. Now, if believers don't experience this, this fellowship, this unity of fellowship with the Godhead that Jesus came to make possible, there's, then there's no proof that Jesus was sent by the Father. That's what Jesus is saying in his prayer. In other words, without a close-knit relationship and fellowship with God on the part of those claiming to be Jesus' followers, there's no evidence that Jesus was sent by the Father. This makes the presence of God all the more important. It's not what we know about God that impresses the world. It is the fruit that comes from experiencing his very real presence in our lives that does it. Jesus goes on to pray about glory. He declares that the glory God gave to him... He has given to us. Think about that for a second. Read your own Bible. That's what it says. That the glory God gave to Jesus, He has given to you. Why? So that we might be one with them as they are one with each other. You can't come into the unity of the fellowship of the Trinity without the glory of God. You can't come in as a natural being. You come with His glory overshadowing you. See, the glory is closeness of relationship so that the power of his presence contacts us as it made contact with Jesus. Jesus said, what I see the Father doing, what I hear the Father speaking, that's what I do and that's what I say. What is he communicating? I am one with the Father. Why did they want to kill him? Because he made himself one with God. That's what your Bible teaches. I remember being with some religious people on a job site once. 
And they wanted to have a lunch break together. And they were really religious. So we're sitting at the table and they're telling me about all their Bible knowledge. And I'm talking about how God spoke to me that morning. Talking about my testimony, how God got a hold of me and spoke to me. And it was like it was an audible voice. And these guys started getting mad at me. Literally. One of them said, you're audacious and arrogant. I said, why would you say that? He said, because you speak as if you've got God's ear and God's got your ear. Like you just talk to God like you could just walk in. I said, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. He said, see, that's audacious. I said, that's not audacious. That's faith. Jesus died to give me that privilege. Jesus said, my sheep know me, and they hear my voice, and they will not follow another. If you're not hearing his voice, have you really been born again? Then they got really mad. Needless to say, I wasn't winning a popularity contest in that moment in time, but I wasn't trying to. I was trying to live in the hope of the gospel. You already have the glory. Now, verse 26 is the one I really want us to focus on because it's really important to allow it into our hearts. Jesus said something so vitally important. He said, I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, here's where we need to ask ourselves, what love is it that Jesus prayed would be in us? What love? What measure of it? What kind? What type? What nature? What source? See, so many times people will open John 17, they'll read through it, and they say, that's that's nice. See, if that's what you're doing, you're not getting a single solitary thing from the Holy Spirit when you're reading it. You are reading it with your mind. You need to read it with your heart. God speaks to you here, not here. He wants to speak to you here and let that come up to here. It doesn't go through here to here. It comes here by the Spirit where it produces faith, life, and hope. And then it tells the mind how it ought to think. You will never renew your mind by just mere information. When it says you must employ the word of God, it's talking about rhema, Holy Spirit revelation. It's how you renew your mind. Mere Bible information does not renew your mind. It can make you twice a child of a Pharisee as anybody could ever be. You need Holy Spirit revelation. You need to approach the Word of God with your heart and not read it like a book. Yes. 
Read it like you're listening to the one in whom you have relationship with. Then it becomes a useful tool. You say, why would you say it that way? Well, let's just see. Let's look at Christian history. When you look at Christian history, the people that approached this thing with just a mind killed people needlessly. It gave Christ and Christians a bad name. And still today, people who understand history and read history struggle with the information of history on how the church treated certain people in the world. What was the problem? It wasn't really the church doing it. It was men who were reading scriptures with just their mind and becoming two times more child of hell than the Pharisees of Jesus' day. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? You encompass land and sea to, to proselytize one disciple, and when you get him, you make him two times a child of hell than yourself. He doesn't want us to just read. He wants us to feel. He wants us to be impacted. He wants us to receive. He's moving in this last time, these last days, in a powerful way. Why aren't more people picking up on him? Just in a church, not far from here. Holy Spirit moving, people falling on the floor. What's the difference? Holy Spirit is moving people. I'm here to tell you, he's on the move. He is as willing today as he was when Jesus walked the earth. Jesus said, the things I do, you will also do. And even greater things and even greater things it's possible that we've gotten to such a settle for things mindset that we don't have enough of an openness to go into the word of God and let the Holy Spirit put something in there that would challenge our socks off and make us realize that as a child of God the possibilities are endless because they are You're not ordinary. I tell you that all the time. You're just not ordinary. Right? (laughs) What love is it that Jesus prayed would be in us? The same exact love that Jesus had. How loved by the Father do you think Jesus was? How about when he shows up at the Jordan to be baptized? He hasn't done a thing in ministry. He's, never, he's not done one miracle yet. Don't buy into any stories or people writing fantastically about how Jesus probably did miracles when he was a kid. No, he didn't. He didn't do anything miraculous until after he came out of the wilderness and entered into ministry. But he goes down to the Jordan. He hasn't done anything yet. Nothing. He's just now showing up at the Jordan where John the Baptist, the forerunner, is. And as he comes up out of the water, the voice thunders from heaven. This is my beloved son 
in whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't even done anything yet. He hadn't done anything yet. But the Father loves the Son. The love of the Father is not conditioned upon your performance. It's conditioned upon the gift that it is. And many people struggle with things because they don't understand the love of God and receive it. They won't move out in the spirit because they had a bad week. Well, I don't feel like I could lay hands on somebody and the Holy Spirit do anything. Well, why? Well, because I, it's just not been one of those weeks. I don't feel like I've, you know. Oh, so it, it's, it relies on you doing something in your strength to shore up the weakness of the Holy Spirit instead of the Holy Spirit coming to shore up the weakness of you. <laughs> Think about that. He shores up the weakness of me all the time. I don't know of a time when I feel like, oh, what, I could just lay hands on anybody right now. In my flesh, I don't ever feel like I can lay hands on anybody or should. But in my spirit, I know the Father loves me. <laughs> and if the Father loves me, he wants to do something, right? And if I know he loves me, I know he loves you. If he loves you, he wants to do something, right? Oh, the dynamic transition that comes when people begin to get so grounded in this, they can just function and flow freely. Freely and encourage one another as the body of Christ is meant to do. You have the same exact love Jesus had. So we have Jesus saying we have the glory he had with the Father. And that he desires that we possess the same love he possessed from the Father by believing. How? By believing his words. That's how you have it. You believe it. And you receive it. Now here's a major question you need to consider deep down in your spirit. How much do you think the Father loves Jesus? That's the level of love that is in you. So Jesus gave you his glory, and now whatever he's speaking over you is meant to make you aware of the same love he had from the Father being in you. The same love in you. It's the desire of Jesus that you know that you have the Father's love at the same level he had it. And that Jesus himself lives in you. Jesus lives in you. This is the belief that Jesus wants you to walk in all the time. He wants you to live aware of the presence of God with you based on faith in him and his finished work at the cross and nothing else. You or I never merit the presence of God. Well, you'll have more presence if you pray more. You may be aware of a little more. By praying more. But your prayer didn't earn squat. All your prayer was for mostly was you. Amen. 
Well, I'll have more of the preference. Man, if I could just fast one time for 40 days. I'd have so much more of the prayer. I fasted for 40 days once. I felt more aware of the presence of God, a little bit more clear-headed, a little bit more alert to some things. And my heart was moved and things like that. But it wasn't because the fasting earned anything. All the fasting was intended to do was get rid of some distractions. So it cleared the pathway for me to, you know. But it didn't earn anything. Fasting didn't do squat to change who God is. It didn't change who God is. God was still who he was. He was being that before I ever fasted. I was just struggling to be able to see it. Have you experienced being loved by the Father... The way Jesus was and is loved by the Father. See, it's not enough to hear this and then go out and quote, Man, I'm loved with the same love Jesus was loved. No, you need to experience it. (laughs) You need to experience it. Every time I've ever seen even a grown-up who grew up feeling like they didn't have the love of their parents, that they were rejected, maybe by a father or a mother. And then they begin to realize that that's, that was a lie. You know what has happened every single time? They begin to weep. Not out of dismay, but out of joy. Out of the realization that they had believed a lie that wasn't true. And now they're really starting to feel loved. And it overwhelms them. It just overwhelms them. The idea that they could be so loved. The same thing's true when you get a hold of the love of God. It's overwhelming to realize how much the Father loves you. I remember way back, and thank God, abortion is on its way to becoming illegal. In, In many states, hopefully it'll sweep the nation. But I, I used to get in trouble at abortion clinics because I was the one that had the biggest voice. And so I would get in trouble at abortion clinics because I'd stand out and I would scream and somebody would be going in. I'd, you don't want to do that. And their boyfriend would threaten to kill me and all this other stuff. And, but that wouldn't silence me because I knew that a life was at stake. And I remember I was in my work truck one day driving down the road and I just said, God, I know you love me. I know you love the world I know you love your kids I know you love these babies but could you give me just a just a slight idea how much you love these babies and I had to pull off a road I had to pull off the road for about 20 minutes and I wept till I thought I could weep no more and then he said That's a thimble measure of the love I have. And in your flesh, you can't take that. When you realize how much I love these babies. I'm telling you, when you get hold of the love of God, it will. You want to talk about a shaking. Everybody wants to talk about shaking. They want to talk about getting on to you about your sin. 
I want to talk to you about the kind of shaking that comes into your life when you get a revelation of the love of God. Oh, it will shake you. It's like nothing else. It is God's what? Goodness that leads you to change, to repentance, to turn. I remember my wife built it up in my kids' minds one, t- one time when they were little. They behaved so badly, my boys had. And, uh, and so she, she just told them, she said, oh, you're going to get it when your father comes home. You're so going to get it when your father comes home. You just, she built it up all day. You just wait till your dad gets home. You'll be sorry you did this. She just built that up, built that. You know what? They didn't want dad to come home. They didn't feel drawn to me. Oddly enough. So I get home and. I figured, well, she's built it up this much. Why not just go a little further? So I started taking a leather belt and popping it and stuff like that. Yeah. So my youngest son and my oldest son are in there. And, and uh, I, the oldest one has to go first. He gets his whipping, you know. And then it's time for the younger son to get his whipping. And in a crate is a lightsaber from, you know, a lot, little Star Wars toy. He reaches over, grabs his lightsaber, slings it out, and starts swinging it wildly. No, it's back. He's, he starts swinging it wildly, and I, I start cracking up. I couldn't help it. And I said, son, what are you doing? I'm protecting myself. (laughs) Well, I'm laughing so hard I can barely give him his whipping. So my oldest son is offended because he said, I got the full-on thing. He got nothing. I said, he was funnier than you. (laughs) What can I say? The point of the story being is neither one of those boys were eager to see me. Why? Because they were expecting my wrath. They were expecting my anger. They were expecting retribution. If that's how you see God, you're never going to draw close to him. You're not going to have your heart turned. You need to see the goodness of God to have your heart turned. Otherwise, you're afraid to approach. You're afraid of what you might get. The reason some people don't want a word of knowledge, they don't want a word of prophecy, is they're scared to death of what might be spoken. What if God shows him how horrible I really am? Because that's how most people see themselves. Come on. They're not looking at the mirror every morning saying, good morning, righteousness of God in Christ. (laughs) What I'm telling you can change your life. 
Have you experienced being loved by the Father? It's your inheritance in Christ, freely and continually to know and experience the love of the Father. And this is the fullness of God available to you when you know the love of Christ. Ephesians 3 says it best in 18 and 19, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God by knowing the love of Christ. Why know the love of Christ? Because when you know the love of Christ and you, recite, you realize the Father loves you equally as much as he loves Jesus, what will he withhold from you? You know what he'll withhold from you? What you really deserve in your flesh. He'll withhold that. You know what he'll give to you? What you didn't deserve and what you didn't earn. Mercy and grace. You know what mercy is? You're getting something amazing that you don't deserve. You're getting it as opposed to what you really do deserve. That's mercy. And that's what you're entitled to have every day, brand new. His mercies are new when? Every morning. Every morning. Now, Jesus could have prayed that God whip his followers into shape and not let them get out of line so they wouldn't lose his love. But that would have been contrary to the gospel. You do not earn this amazingly wonderful privilege. You simply believe it and receive it. The Holy Spirit stays powerfully ready to manifest in your life on the basis of his amazing love. An amazing love that truly is yours in Christ. You don't earn it. You don't get yourself ready to get it. You simply determine if God said it, God can't lie. I believe it. I'm going to receive what's mine. That's how this works. It's how it works. So I'm asking David to come up. I'm asking Jonathan to come up. John to come up. Matt, you come up. Justin, you come up. Derek, Bobby, come up here if you will. Do some, some, something just a little bit different. We're going to do something just a little bit different, and then we'll turn everybody loose. I know there's a lot going on today. And, man, I hope that you'll show up tonight because the Holy Spirit's going to meet us. He's going to meet us. All of you are convinced of the love of God, right? Amen. 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 So what we're going to do today is these guys are going to minister this morning. So if you want to experience the manifestation of the love of God through the person of the Holy Spirit, I want you to come. I want you to come. Now, come expecting, not on the basis of what might happen to prove it to you, come expecting it to happen based on the words you've received. And as these guys lay hands and begin to pray for you, you're going you're gonna to get a strong sense of the love of God coming upon you. Now, here's what you need to do.
Don't withhold what you sense is stirring in your yourself. If you feel to weep, weep. If you feel to laugh, laugh. If you feel to shout, shout. If you, whatever that is, that is your response to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Are you following me? Don't get, don't come up here to receive it and then keep your poise. That cheats the spirit. And it grieves him. Because it's like you're embarrassed of him. We're not embarrassed of him in this place. So as these guys start to lay hands on you and pray, whatever you're moved to do in your, in your spirit, you let that be. You let that go. All right? Father, as we begin to do this, I just thank you that you have purposed to pour out your love upon everybody here this morning in tremendous measure. And I thank you that you've chosen vessels to do this through, Lord, that, Lord, they're not bringing anything of their own strength in this thing. They're coming, Lord, just yielded to you. So, Father, as the hands are laid on each and every one, I thank you for an impartation of the Spirit's power and anointing, Lord, and for a revelation of the love of God for each life in Jesus' name. Brothers, begin to just lay hands on people. Begin to just declare the love of God over them. Begin to just let them receive it in Jesus' name.